Our government believes that every parent should be able to give their kids a good start in life. We believe that no child should be forced to go to school without a lunch or school supplies. And no child should be denied an opportunity to play sports or be in band because their family can't afford the equipment. So to make sure that every child has the opportunity to thrive and to provide more help to parents raising a family, I'm proud to announce that Budget 2019 introduces the new BC Child Opportunity Benefit. The Child Opportunity Benefit is a historic investment in the people of our province that puts more dollars directly back in parents' pockets. This benefit gives supports to families for every child they have up to the age of 18. For the first child, the benefit will be as high as $1,600 a year. For a family with two children, the benefit rises to $2,600, and that number continues to increase for larger families. For anyone who's raised a child, they know how transformational this support can be, from the ability to put healthy meals on the table to buying your child a good winter coat. That kind of support is going to make an incredible difference. In total, the BC Child Opportunity Benefit will put nearly $400 million a year back in the pockets of hardworking families. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Right, here we go with another podcast. That was the voice of Finance Minister Carol James. It's Budget Week in Victoria, Rob, and you've been in a lot of these lockups over the years. So have I. Another balanced budget from the NDP. That's three in a row for Carol James. If you want to give her credit for the first one in 2017, right? Because yeah. that was a budget update, as they called it, when they first got elected. So some people say, oh, that shouldn't count. I'm going to give her credit for a balanced budget that year, too, because they could have blown the books right away if they wanted to. So I think it's three balanced budgets in a row for Carol James, which I think is pretty good. It was like seven balanced budgets in a row for the province of BC or something like yeah, that? Yeah, because the Liberals balanced a whole bunch of them in a row before the NDP came in, right? So I think that made it easier for the NDP to come in here and for Carol James to keep the street going. Yeah. And they've also lucked out with a strong economy going here in British Columbia, the best economy going in Canada. I mean, take a look at economic growth, unemployment. A lot of those uh, indicators are real good for BC. So they're damn lucky. You know, you can say that right off the bat, but still, I think you got to give them some some credit. Even the business community was saying some nice things about the budget. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the reaction from the business community for the last couple budgets, and especially this one, has been basically, uh, but surprisingly, uh, prudent spending yeah. is kind of their yeah. reaction. That there's, you know, that they recognize that the NDP is under enormous internal pressure to blow open the purse and just 16 years of pent-up demands on things that they wanted to see funded. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Carol James just gets an earful at cabinet meetings, other ministers, other MLAs who say, who knows how long we're going to be in power. We better spend while we got the chance to spend. Right. And that that's what's remarkable about this budget that we just saw is that it's actually quite uh, modest in yeah. its spending. I mean, last year's budget had the big, uh, you know, 10-year child care plan, 10-year housing plan. This budget has very small increases just in key areas. Uh, we heard Carol James off the top talking about a child opportunity tax benefit, which she described as a centerpiece of of what they're doing here. I thought it was 
I mean, it's, it's a perfectly fine program. It takes a little bit of chutzpah uh, to I- announce the centerpiece of your budget is a tax benefit that is not actually in the fiscal year coming up. <laughs> it doesn't it's, kick until next year. It doesn't kick until the yeah. following budget. So oh. we have to wait a whole nother budget for them to re-announce this thing to, to make sure that it actually happens. That takes a that takes a little bit of gall, but nonetheless, well, uh, it's a, it's something that looks like it's cash in the pocket for uh, for families. You know, you can get as much as $1,600 a year up until a child is aged 18. It replaces a previous uh, child benefit program that, uh, that the government had. And uh, it's clearly going to be one of these things that the government points to as, as they're starting to phrase it now in their budget, the biggest middle-class tax breaks that we've ever seen when mm. you combine MSP being eliminated and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they say it's a big middle class tax break because they lump in that MSP reduction. But what they don't mention, of course, in the same breath is they've essentially shifted the tax away from individuals and onto business, right? Because now they got this employer health tax Mm -hmm. and they're mad as hell about that. And you know that they're going to pass on their costs to their customers. So Presumably, that puts a little bit of upward pressure on prices. You're going to pay anyway. So someone's got to pay the piper, right? Well, and so local, they, they local governments start, too, right? I local mean, governments just... is another great example where local governments get walloped with this thing. they got to put up property taxes as a result. So the money's always got to come from somewhere. But sure, it's a great talking point, a great line for her to say it's a middle-class tax cut. I think you make a great group about the uh, a great point about the, the uh, pent-up demand, right? After 16 years of liberal rule, it's like... All the unions, all the anti-poverty groups, all the social justice groups, all the environmental groups. These are like the sort of the base NDP constituencies. They're all like, let's go. Let's see the money, right? And I think that Carol James, and I think you got to look a step up the chain as well to John Horgan. I think they've made a very specific decision here that... We're not going to blow the books. We're not going to break the bank, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they could have come in here and borrowed like crazy. They could have have ran massive deficits. And a lot of their constituents, those groups that support them would have been thrilled. But I think Horgan's thinking long term. I think he's thinking, you know what? I can win again here. I can win the next election. And I'm not going to do it, though, if I go in here and I blow the bank apart and just and just run up massive deficits after the liberals had balanced the budget a whole bunch in a row and the, and the economy strong. So I think it's a deliberate deliberate decision. Yeah, let's listen to Carol James uh, talking about another part of the budget here, which is um, social spending for um, you know income assistance and disability. And this is what she has to say on that. Mr. Speaker, in budget 2019, we're committed to making life better for all British Columbians, including the most vulnerable. Too many people in our province are just a paycheck away from poverty. When family budgets are squeezed, even a small setback can lead to a crisis. Too many people in this province feel stuck, worried life will never get better for them or their children. And that's why I'm proud to announce that our government is investing over a billion dollars in Budget 2019 to lay the groundwork to make sure that every person can reach their full potential. As I mentioned, the centre of this work is the BC Child Opportunity Benefit. But that's just one part of our work. Our government, one of the first things we did when we were elected was to increase income and disability assistance rates by $100 a month. Today in Budget 2019, we are adding more support by raising those rates by an additional $50 a month, bringing the total increase to $150 a month, or $1,800 a year. 
This means more money for groceries and life's basic necessities, but we know more needs to be done. We need to make income and disability assistance more accessible. So we're also investing $26 million to make these benefits more fair and respect people's dignity. This will mean examples like allowing people on income assistance to keep their car, helping them get a piece of ID that they might need to secure a job or find a place to live. So yeah, Smitty, uh, she's talking a bit about raising the income assistance rate and disability rate by $50 a month, which, if you put it in the larger perspective, is $150 a month since the NDP came into power, but not a huge increase in this budget. It, it received, I would charitably describe as muted praise from the social groups that were expecting a lot more from the finance minister on that. And it left this giant question that we were all looking for in the budget about a poverty reduction plan. We know the NDP's promised it this year. We know it's going to be expensive. Where was the money for that in the budget? There's virtually no mention of it at all. So that was one of the questions that people had coming out of it. I think it's just another example of where they're they're sort of walking that prudent line that there was another great example of a pressure point where you had groups that have been backing them for years and have said, remember the Liberals, this is another great comparator with the Liberals. The Liberals had frozen, what, welfare rates and disability rates for how long? Mm-hmm. Like, people didn't get a raise on disability rates for so long. Remember, remember when the Liberals... Uh, took away disabled people's bus passes. At mm-hmm. the same time, they were racking up those huge surpluses. One of the strangest policy decisions I've ever seen. The NDP, you know, that was just a great visual for the NDP of people in wheelchairs and walkers outside the legislature protesting. And you got this government inside, the Liberals, saying, no, you can't have your bus pass. We're taking it away from you. We're not giving it back to you. And they've got like a $2 billion surplus. It was crazy. So I think there was so much pressure on the NDP to do something for for poor people and but they don't want to they just don't want to break the bank. They don't want to unbalance the budget. So but I think they got to do something. So they have to I think this is kind of low-hanging fruit to raise rates. Mm-hmm. And they're rates that haven't been raised in a long time. So again, it's it's a good political talking point for them. We're helping the poorest of the poor. The liberals ignored them for years. Uh, we're helping them, but they can do it in a way and still keep the budget balanced. Another one that uh, was quite interesting is getting rid of student loan interest rates, which we know the NDP have promised for a long time. But it came in the budget and was immediately in effect. And not only is it in effect, but it applies retroactively to to people who already have student loans. It's not like if you get a loan going forward, you won't pay interest rates. It's you're paying interest rates right now, boom, you don't have to do it anymore. So the government takes a big upfront hit. I think it's about $200 million this year. And then going forward, it pays less. But no interest rates on student loans. It was another example, Smitty, of... We, we used to ask the Liberal government all the time, like, why are you charging prime plus 1%? Why are you making money off of student loans? And, oh, well, you know, your investment in your in your education is something you should be responsible for. Yeah. I mean, the, I, you know, it's a very easy win for the NDP to, to take interest rates off student loans, and you don't hear a single person complaining about that. Yeah, it's a good one for them, I think. And it was a specific promise and a deliverable for John Horgan after the election, and it's been delayed. It's taken him a year and a half for him to deliver on it. But it's finally here, and it's a really good one because it's not a it's not a means tested program where if you're, let's say you're kind of middle upper middle class wage earner or something like that that you don't get it. Everybody gets it if you've if it, there's a universal program. If you've got a student loan and lots of people do, and they're gonna, it's interest free from now on. I think it's just money in the pockets of people, students, their parents who are help, trying to help them, and it's it's a real good one for the NDP. I think. Um, 
but again, it's it's one that okay, it's a two hundred million dollar hit on that one, huh? Just so up front it, in the first year, yeah. yeah and then going yeah. forward, it's thirty million dollars, which wow. is not a lot at all. So yeah, so you know, a little upfront hit, but one that they it's a great political talking point for them. Here's something that we've delivered, but again, keeping that keeping that budget balanced on on the childcare one, I think is interesting because remember during the election, it was the promise was ten dollar a day childcare which has now been dropped as a talking point for a long time, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, although, did I hear Carol James actually mention the $10 a day child care briefly in the lockup? That maybe briefly. that's still the goal or something? Yeah. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're, they're stuck not being able to say it out loud because the yeah. Greens don't like the moniker $10 a day, and they refuse to allow the NDP to really call it that program. But she did mention it, yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's still in a, you know, an aspiring kind of point for them to try and get there. But they still haven't delivered big time on the child care piece and there was not a whole lot of money in this budget for their child care program they did bring in this child care benefit which to me seemed like a bit of um almost like a last minute thought like oh my god we don't have enough money to keep spending like crazy on child care so let's can we come up with some kind of tax credit that we can put in the top of our press release well their, their yeah. problem the ndp has this this problem where they've put 10-year plans out for child care yeah. and so that when they fulfill those plans which was actually just another you know couple hundred million dollars in child care they don't get any credit for doing that every year they've already announced what they're doing yeah. so we're all looking at the child care budget saying did you put anything extra in right. outside of the scheduled increases you've already baked into it now and they didn't really do that and so i think we were expecting a child care plan that would have more money to expand the pilot projects for ten dollars a day there's 53 pilot projects across the province where if you won the lottery and have your kid in one of the daycares that have now been deemed ten dollars a day you're basically sitting pretty and we thought maybe the ndp will expand that beyond 53 sites there is no money to do that in the coming year and what you heard from the finance minister instead was we're going to evaluate those sites this year and then figure it out. So it's a pause yep. on the child care plan for a year. And it does make you wonder, when are we going to get to $10 a day? Are we ever going to get there? Is it? It's so far down the road that, and it's so much money that it seems hard. You, you can't get provincial officials. You can't get the children's minister. You can't get the premier. You can't get the finance minister to tell you. When are we going to get there? And the NEP's problem is it was a clear-cut promise in the election, just a one-line talking point that sounded great, and it is so expensive and complicated to pull off that that budgets we see like this one, you, you just you don't know where they're going with it. I think they got their eye on the next election, and they're thinking we can't we can't deliver too early on this stuff. First of all, we got to keep the budget balanced. Mm. It's too expensive to deliver on this stuff now. And we don't get the biggest political bang for our buck if we do it too early. So let's, we got to hold some of this stuff back. This is not an election budget. This is a midterm budget. This, this is the government I think wants to go at least another year, maybe the full term, right? Before they go back, they got to face the voters again. So I think strategically they're looking down the road. The goal here now is to present a popular budget with some of their some of their some of their measures and deliverables in there. Certainly not all of them, but you got to keep that budget balanced, not go crazy. But then, as we get closer to an election, then maybe some of the goodies come out, and they have a little bit more of an exciting childcare announcement right before the election. Let's listen to Green Leader Andrew Weaver's reaction to the budget here. Well, thank you, everyone, uh, here to give my initial reaction. We've uh, had a brief discussion after the budget uh, with caucus. Uh, you can clearly see in this budget the signature of BC Green influence in a number of ways. We're we're pleased with the overall direction of the budget. We're pleased to see the funding for Clean BC come forward, focus on people, some of the initiatives that we pushed hard for in our uh, submission to the budget. 
with respect to student funding and the elimination of interest on student debt, funding for education, for teachers, for uh, professional service workers in the school, uh, child psychologists, etc. Very pleased with the overall direction. So taken together, um, we think this is a, a good budget, a budget focusing on people and one that has many of our uh, priorities front and center. So Smitty, he comes back and he says, look, like we see green influence in a number of ways in this budget. And he points to um, the clean BC uh, spending, which we've been waiting for government to unveil. It's basically somewhere in the realm of $900 million over the next few years where it's going to uh, provide incentives. So you want to get a new heat pump. You want to get a new, um, you know, um, uh, insulated window system for your house or replace the doors and uh, put more insulation in your attic. Uh, you even want to get an electric vehicle. It's going to continue the $6,000 point-of-sale rebate on electric vehicles. So Andrew Weaver's saying that Clean BC uh, and the way that he maneuvered the NDP government to somehow manage LNG and its pollution reduction targets is a reflection on him as a win in the budget. Yeah, I mean, he's got to show that he is achieving something as the minority partner in this government. And there's been a lot of sort of shots at at, at uh, Weaver and I've taken a few of them myself. <laughs> he didn't. He kind of got played like a fiddle a bit by Horgan. Uh, a lot of the big, big issues that he campaigned on and that he was against the Site C Dam, big massive LNG projects. Uh, you know, there's there's several others. He didn't really get a lot of the ones that he wanted mm-hmm. when he had Horgan right where he wanted him. I mean, you couldn't have had a more powerful bargaining position after the election. When the only way that Horgan's going to be premier and the NDP are going to form government is if Weaver goes along with him. So he had him right where he wanted him. And there's been some complaints that he didn't drive a hard enough bargain and get enough of what he possibly could have got otherwise. So I think he's got to make the most of the things that he has achieved. And this this green energy project, this clean BC climate change plan is certainly one of them where you got a, a dramatic kind of plan to electrify the province, and they've got some ambitious targets in there. Again, though, it's a bit of a step-by-step sort of thing, and we're seeing some of the pieces now, but these are very ambitious goals, right? Like, what Mm -hmm. was the one to replace, we get to 100% 100 electric vehicles on the road by 2040? Yeah, something like that. So other jurisdictions have got similar targets, but still a a really kind of ambitious uh, deadline to meet, and the government's starting to kind of piece together how how they're going to achieve it with the rebates that you've got you're seeing now which are popular with consumers and then maybe some more pieces down the road of more charging stations for electric vehicles and that kind of thing but i'm not surprised to see weaver out there kind of patting himself on the back saying this is one that i got for for people for for our party and for the people who supported us so you see this minority government's working here we made them do this so he'll try and take the credit i gotta i gotta say i thought we would see more uh, yeah. in the Clean BC plan. And I remember in the technical briefing with government, they talked about how ambitious their Clean BC plan was. They needed, they basically, it comes down to they need you and I and your neighbors and everyone to switch to electricity. Get yeah. rid of your natural gas furnace. Get rid of your oil burning furnace. Stop filling up your car with gas. You're going to need to do all electricity in order for government to meet its targets. And all that the Clean BC plan is in the budget is a continuation of the subsidies that already exist. Those are existing programs that the government's given more funding to continue. And there was mention at the time that the government unfolded this plan of radically new ways to incentivize people. So a heat pump, which can cost you 10 grand to get into your house. There are other countries, and the BC officials mentioned this, other countries where they will give you the heat pump and Mm. you will pay it back with the savings that you otherwise would have got uh, in, from having to run your house out of your former electricity or your 
or your furnace or whatnot. And this yeah. idea that there are easier ways, there are better ways to incent people in. And all this plan seems to have done is continue what we had, which is good, but is not, in my mind, going to be the ambitious road to meeting their targets. So they gave Andrew Weaver something that he could hang his hat on. And I think yeah. you're right. He needed to show that he could do this. But I don't see that incentive program causing you and I and everyone else to switch to electric baseboard heat when you know the reason that people don't use electric baseboard heat right now if you have a choice is because you pay through the nose for electricity compared to your natural gas furnace so the real problem on the climate plan for government if you want to force people to use electricity is you have to do something about the rates is people can get a natural gas furnace for cheaper or a cheaper car they're going to do it because they're struggling to to make ends meet and that clean bc plan didn't even come remotely close to addressing that. Yeah, a lot of missing pieces there for sure. Maybe it's another one where we'll see more as we get closer to an election campaign. The the other thing that sort of jumped out at me a bit in the budget, Rob, was some of the stuff that was, we've been talking about a lot of the stuff that was in there. An interesting thing that was not in there was no no tax increases, right? Right. And I went into that lockup this week thinking like, okay, the NDP have already done the tax hikes that they said they would do. They did the vac- the speculation tax. They did the uh, uh, they did the tax on high income earners. Yep. They brought in a tax and and that on corporations. They brought in a tax on uh, luxury vehicles. Something like that. They had a few very specific tax increases that they promised. Those are all done. So you go into this block up thinking, well, they're not going to hike taxes. But there was a little part of me was looking, wondering if they would. Because I've been in in lockups before where you get surprises. And the reason why I was sort of getting the old spidey sense a little bit on it was in the last couple of weeks, they spent so much time describing how bad things are at some of these crown corporations, especially BC Hydro, right, where they just had to do a billion-dollar bailout. Of course, it's the liberals' fault. So the liberals messed up BC Hydro and left us a mess. The Liberals messed up ICBC. That's the dumpster fire. It was the Liberals that are responsible for money laundering. They've been just awesome at the way they've trashed the Liberals and made them blame them for everything. But the other side of that coin is that I'm always waiting for is to say, well, now we got to clean up their mess and gosh darn it maybe now we got to raise taxes you know and it's don't not want to i just i wish i could you know, I, I didn't have to do it we but... didn't want to do this but the liberals made us do it and leading up to this budget there was a, 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 a i thought a noticeable uptick in the partisanship of uh especially carol james who takes a lot of shots at the liberals even in her on budget day too and i thought is that what's coming is the is the tax is the surprise tax hike here coming and it was it was not there okay so basically Not what you're, there. you're saying is your spidey sense. If you were Spider-Man, you'd be dead right now. I would be. Yeah, exactly. You would have been hit with that building that you didn't see coming. I would have got swallowed up. I would have got smacked around by the Green Goblin or whatever, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it just was, it wasn't there. I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be there, but there was a little part of me wondering, are they going to raise taxes? And it was not there. Now, I thought that was interesting because, again, I think it's kind of an interesting kind of decision by the government here to walk that kind of path. To, to not give the opposition that kind of uh, ammunition if they can avoid it. Keep the budget balanced. Don't raise taxes. Make the best of what we got. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a kind of a smart strategy. Well, but it goes back to the what you said before. This is a long game they're playing. They aren't yeah. here for 
a good time. They're here for a long time, is the old Dave Barrett uh, saying, right? They've, they, they've decided to go a different path than spend like crazy and create like crazy, and they're helping people understand, perhaps, that an NDP government isn't a crazy uh, deficit-wielding. And this is part of the problem, and we're going to get, I think we'll play maybe uh, Shirley Bond next, okay. uh, the liberal reaction here, but part of the problem the liberals are having in describing this is they keep going back to the well of... This is the 90s tax and spend NDP government on overdrive. And it's tough to look at the budget this past week and think there are no new taxes except for well. a, a carbon tax increase that the liberals had proposed to do as well yeah. when they were trying to stay in power. I, I, it's it's difficult for the NDP's enemies to find a lot of traction on these budgets. And it is allowing the NDP to be in this great position of shooting their partisan shots at people, but but not there's not a lot of room for people to come back at them. Well, yeah, it's a little tough to trash them as a tax and spend government when they balance the budget and haven't raised taxes in the budget. So So here's Shirley Bond. Let's listen to her. It's um, simply irresponsible to just continue to assume that the economy is going to continue to grow at the pace that it has without specific uh, uh, measures and priorities. There was absolutely nothing in this budget, absolutely nothing, that focuses on a jobs plan, growing the economy, ensuring that revenue generation comes from the private sector, from investors wanting to come to British Columbia. Zero about that in this budget. This is a reliance on a couple of sources to pay for these announcements. One is taxpayer pockets. And most significantly, a concern for us, a $1.6 billion transfer from the federal government. Without that, this government would have been in the glue during this budget. So from our perspective, the fact that there is no attention being paid to the economy creates enormous risks for the success of this supposedly balanced budget. So she's saying irresponsible budget because it doesn't assume that the economy is going to grow. It doesn't have a jobs plan. It doesn't generate revenue for the economy. She's, you hear the liberals say this and you think, okay, well, is their vision of what this budget should have been a jobs plan and economic fiddling budget when they, they seem to have not still recognized that they so underspent the social side of the budget they so they picked the wrong fights on people with disabilities, people who needed income assistance, you know, mothers on maternity benefits, the minimum wage, all these fights that they held over the years on budgets that they said were growing the economy in a jobs plan. And and now they're criticizing the NDP for funding those pent up social demands. And I I just listened to Shirley Bond and I listened to Andrew Wilkinson and others in the Liberal side and I think I'm not sure Smitty they totally get perhaps the public frustration that they think the public wanted to see a jobs plan in this budget rather than an increase to the disability rate. I, I don't know. About I guess that. I guess the challenge is for the liberals is they've got a lot of baggage that the public hasn't forgotten about yet. The economy is going is going good. You know, it's not like the NDP have blundered into a recession here. The economy is still the strongest in Canada. The unemployment rate is low. So she's talking about we want to see a jobs plan when you got the best unemployment rate in the country and the and the budget's balanced. So that's a little tough sledding for the liberals for sure. But I, I think for them to I think it's smart for them, though, on the other side to keep talking about the economy, to keep talking about job creation, because I think that's their bread and butter. Like, let's start talking about how we can do even better. What could the government do to stimulate the economy more? 
uh, to create jobs. And I guess they're talking about lowering taxes. And I, and I guess what you're going to see from Andrew Wilkinson as we go forward here and get closer to another election is they will come up with a, a tax mm-hmm. reduction plan and, and try and differentiate themselves from the NDP that way. You elect us, we're going to cut your taxes. Yeah. So, you know, watch for that. That's until they, until the Liberals get there, though, yeah. their argument is ridiculous because, I mean, the criticism against them was they wanted to have a surplus. They collected all their pennies just so they could point to how many pennies they have. And when Carol James uses that line in the budget this past week that the government, the previous government, the Liberal government, wanted to have a surplus so they had a surplus, it's a very powerful argument because it does cut to the core of what brought the Liberals down in the end, that they wanted a surplus to show you they were managing the economy and getting the AAA credit rating while you were drowning on welfare or you were drowning on income assistance or they were clawing things back from you. And I, I, I think you're right. I mean, if Andrew Wilkinson can come up with a tax reduction plan, yeah. then you have a very clear choice between Specific. spending the surplus on the NDP side, on, yeah. on you, yeah. or reducing your taxes and leaving the money in your pocket. But the liberals aren't there. And their response to the budget, I thought, was so incoherent and tone deaf that it tells you how far they have to go to get to a position where where their argument makes sense. They're going to have to they're going to have to get a little sharper and more defined on what exactly they would do for for British Columbians if you vote for them and I think probably tax cuts is the way they'll go. They certainly can't point to the government like you mentioned the credit rating which you know BC has had a great credit rating under the previous liberal government. Well guess what? Still AAA, right? Yep. All three major bond rating agencies have still got British Columbia rated as top rating AAA credit rating. I think we're the only province in Canada who's got AAA from all three bond rating agencies. So that's another one where Carol James, you know, this is great for the NDP. I mean, they've they've just they've walked into this with the sun shining here and uh, they're making the most of it. I, I remember in past years in the NDP are in power and we'd had a we had a lowered credit rating went down, we had a downgrade. Uh, and that was back when they were blowing the blowing the budget with huge deficits and big spending. So the government has been very cautious here about what they're going to do. Can I? Can we t- quickly talk about ICBC? Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. The miracle recovery, as you put it in your column this week. I think this is really interesting because if you take a look at the budget this week on where ICBC's at, this fiscal year that we're currently in right now, they're set to lose $1.1 billion. So that the famous dumpster fire, as David Eby called it, still burning away. They lost $1.3 billion the year before. <laughs> now $1.1 billion, over $3 million a day they're losing. So, you know, it's something's got to be done. Now, the same budget document said they're going to put the fire out this year, right? Next year, ICBC will lose $50 million, which is peanuts, basically breaking even. So they're going to erase over a billion dollars of losses in a year and then go back to profitability right before the election, by the next election, scheduled election. Uh, some people are looking at this and say, how is this possible? How can David Eby pull this off? He's doing three things. One is the ex- limiting expert witnesses in these uh, cases, which he announced a couple of weeks ago. He is also going to bring it, and the big one's kicking on April 1st. Mm-hmm. So you got the, the cap on pain and suffering awards for people who suffer, quote unquote, minor injuries would be $5,500. These are awards that right now that average $30,000, in many cases a lot more. And the other one is moving most ICBC cases out of the BC Supreme Court and into these civil uh, resolution tribunals, where in some cases you might not even have lawyers involved at all, and you'd settle these cases in two or three months instead of over two years. 
So these are huge. These are huge transformational changes. The lawyers are mad as hell about it. But he's, this is the plan, and he says it's going to work. I don't know. That's a big, that's a big getting rid of a billion bucks in losses in a year. Do you think he can do it? No, I don't, because I just think that's just so much money. How do you reverse that kind of bleeding? You know, now he says, and we, I talked to um, Jimenez, the president of ICBC in the budget lockup, and I asked him, how are you going to pull this off? I know you're talking to him too. And he said, well, all our people have signed off on this. All the experts, all the actuaries, all the accountants, they've looked at, they've looked at it, the plan, they've crunched the numbers, and they say, yep, this is going to work. You know, we're going to turn this thing around. We're going to put out this dumpster fire in one year. This I got to see because that's a lot of losses. You're losing three million bucks a day and you're going to turn it around in one year. Yeah, it's it's too bad ICBC didn't have an accountant look at its books the last five years while it was slowly drowning to death. (laughs) I mean, that seems like a bit of a trust us. You know, we figured it out this time. Yeah, I I guess, you know, David Eby's realized that um, he owns ICBC if he can't fix it after April 1st with his caps. And so you better start projecting some type of uh, financial recovery because without it, um, you're this massive risk to the provincial budget. So I think it's interesting. I have a hard time imagining you go from dumpster fire to basically, you know, firecracker at the end where just (laughs) off you go, you're done. And then it's hard to believe. And then return to profitability the next year. So you're almost at the point again where you could start you know, giving excess optional money back to the government, which is how the Liberal government got into trouble milking ICBC and BC Hydro like golden cows for cash <laughs> for their budget every every year, you know. And it's, uh, I mean, Hydro is another example. We just uh, learned that government is continuing to write off Hydro's deferral accounts, another, another billion dollars that they've had to put basically on the books because Hydro's in the glue for years in which they had to generate money to give back to the liberals for their budget. And so Hydro is reversing its finances in the budget as well, and you kind of wonder. I'm not sure about that, given Hydro's record of being wrong on pretty much every energy prediction it's ever made. But, I mean, it looks rosy. You know, it looks like we're just at the end of the troubled times, and off we go. But it's it's hard to imagine. The uh, fixing ICBC won't be easy, and they won't be able to do it without a fight from these personal injury lawyers who are mad as hell. So they are totally opposed to this, of course, and they're going to sue the government. So they're getting ready now to launch a, probably a charter challenge and claim that what the government's doing here is victimizing, re-victimizing victims of car crashes and taking away their charter rights to get compensation for their injuries. So watch for that. That's probably coming this spring. In the meantime, though, the lawyers... They're getting while the getting's good because Mm -hmm. this April 1st deadline is when these changes come in. The amount of advertising by personal injury law firms is up 21%. And the number of cases that have been launched against ICBC by these these personal injury lawyers, that's up 30%. So the lawyers are just, they're advertising like crazy. If you're in an accident, come come and see us immediately. Because we got to get rolling here now before these deadlines kick on on April 1st. Yeah, and it's causing a bit of a financial spike for ICBC as well. So it's yeah. a, it's an interesting issue. Um, but, you know, overall, though, Smitty, I, I said it was kind of a modest budget, muted praise from its allies. I think maybe, you know, the NDP just kind of stay the course, yeah. uh, keep it keep it cool, as they say, for another yeah. year. And um, I think... You know, Andrew Weaver has said he's going to support this. So do you think that it is 
a year of uh, solidarity between the NDP and Greens now. The, the budget's basically the big confidence vote. Seems now Andrew Weaver's thrown his vote behind it. Is that 2019 checked off the calendar for the NDP government? They're good uh, to go for the rest of the year? Barring any unforeseen development, and we get those often in BC politics, you never know what could happen around the corner here if there's a resignation or somebody gets sick or someone... You know, there's another snowstorm and MLAs can't get to Victoria and they miss a crucial vote or something. I mean, things can happen. But that said, the NDP have got a two-seat majority in there with the Greens. They've got this budget with the uh, clearly the support of the uh, Greens, and, and I don't see how they, uh, they lose a confidence vote at this point. Yeah, but we'll keep our eyes on it and uh, keep subscribed to the podcast uh, through Apple podcasts or your local feeds or follow us on twitter read us in the vancouver sun and the province and uh, we'll be back in your ear holes next week for another (laughs) edition of the in the house podcast thanks for listening sounds good talk to you then